Welcome to Crypto Sapiens, a show that hosts lively discussions with innovative Web3 builders to help you learn about decentralized money systems, including Ethereum, Bitcoin, and DeFi. The podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only, and it is not financial advice. Crypto Sapiens is presented in partnership with Bankless DAO, a movement for pioneers seeking freedom from the limitations of the traditional financial system. Bankless DAO will help the world go bankless by creating user-friendly on-ramps for people to discover decentralized financial technologies through education, media, and culture. Welcome to Decentralized, where we explore the social layer of decentralized science. What does it mean to decentralize science? My name is Elijah, and in this series, we'll consider the fundamental aspects of science as a social activity and an institution through the lens of various contributors in the DSI space. The first four episodes are published as a mini-series and lay the groundwork for future conversations. Our goal is to facilitate an exchange of ideas between people working on the solutions to these fundamental problems. Let's start the show. My name is Elijah, uh, go by Flow Science and Web3. Uh, my background is as a molecular biologist, and so that's my scientific background. I uh, trained and got a doctorate in, in laboratory research um, and then moved into the world of entrepreneurship. Uh, built a uh, genetic testing and research lab for cannabis. And, um, and so that's that's been my day job for the past five years and uh, been been involved loosely with Crypto and Web3 uh, for, for throughout that time. There's been a lot of applications that people have thrown around, uh, both in the genetic space and other applications in, in cannabis industry for supply chain tracking and things like that. So I've always had a, a longstanding interest in uh, the application of crypto and, and blockchain tech to two different things in the areas that I've been working on. But it wasn't until really the rise of DAOs uh, last year that I really started going headlong into this field and, and really dove deep. And um, so then got involved with a lot of different DAOs, including Bankless DAO, which uh, which is the uh, sponsor of this podcast. Uh, Crypto Sapiens is, in, is produced in partnership with Bankless DAO. And uh, and that's where we, we've grown our roots out of. So we do have our own uh, community Discord server for Crypto Sapiens. And so if you feel at any point during this conversation, you want to get more engaged with the contributors in the show, the community at large, uh, feel free to drop a comment um, either you know, on the on the space itself or just hop into Discord and, and get involved in the conversation there. So that uh, that link can be found in the Crypto Sapiens uh, Twitter page. So. Uh, definitely check that out if you want to dive a little deeper into the community. And um, yeah, so that's my background and how I ended up here uh, talking with you today. So I'm just going to introduce our two guests. We've got uh, Clint Amenic, who I met uh, actually out through, through the ether of the uh, the Web3 DAO space. Um, we've had a couple overlapping interests and uh, started talking over around... Um, Projects like Sapien Network uh, and some other some other projects uh, related to DSI Lobby Three. So there's a, a crypto uh, Web Three lobbying group that is uh, moving towards uh, you know, advancing the political issues around uh, Web Three and, and access to this technology um, in in Washington in the U.S. And so that uh, that group Lobby Three has a, a strong uh, a large number of uh, scientific members in DSI contributors to different projects. And so we sort of banded together. Uh, and Clint Amenic, I think, did a lot of that that, rank, that uh, cat wrangling there to, to get us organized and, uh, and into sort of a coalition for, for Lobby 3 for DSI. And so that's, that's how I met Clint Amenic. A lot of, uh, I know you have a lot of involvement in, in a lot of different projects, so I'll let you do more of an introduction for yourself there. And then uh, Jelani Clark, 
uh, Jack from DSI World is a contributor there at DSI World. Um, so that group uh, is connecting other DSI communities together. So they have a few different projects uh, that I'm sure you'll, you'll want to talk more about um, that enable uh, sort of like a dashboard that can that these DeFi communities can apply and be listed on. Uh, it, it, their their Discord server as well is a, is a great place to connect with other people. So um, yeah, DeSci world is is uh, a world of DeSci, and so uh, that's that's how I ended up meeting uh, Jelani and inviting him here today. So I'll let you two do more of a thorough introduction for yourselves. But uh, yeah, that's sort of the the. The premise for today's conversation is we'll just be doing a overview about what we think are the main uh, topics in DSI, the biggest things that come up to us in terms of what our personal journeys have been in the space and contributing to the projects that we're working on now. So uh, thank you both, Clint and Jelani, for joining us. And uh, yeah, please feel free to do your own introductions. Thank you for the introduction and thanks for inviting me to this inaugural episode of Decentralized. Uh, I can give a little bit more background on how Lobby 3 is looking to work with DSI as a, as a sector or as, a, as an ecosystem projects. And it would primarily around establishing scientists involved in the DSI ecosystem can kind of get behind and that they think reflects the application of Web3 to science. And I think the central kind of hurdle there in terms of establishing policy positions and fostering education both of you know like mainstream people and of uh policymakers is breaking this impression that blockchain and, and crypto is just you know primarily for uh financial speculation i think once that kind of stigma or that kind of first impression is is broken or dismantled then we may be able to open up into you know all these other dimensions of how this technology can be applied and i think DSI is in my opinion, probably the most exciting application about this, thinking about how, you know, what, what stands to be revolutionized with this technology. Hey, everyone. Uh, again, I'd like to re-intone the, 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 the gratitude for, for inviting me onto this inaugural uh, Twitter space for Crypto Sapiens. Um, much like Flow Science, I also have a, a scientific background. Um, I'm a neuroimmunologist by training. Um, uh, post leaving academia, I jumped into after actually actually after being disillusioned by the idea of going into academia, um, I decided to go into pharma in the more pharmaceutical industry, where I worked at a biotech launchpad um, that kind of facilitates the transition of early academic research into more commercial commercializable IP and products like drugs and, and so on and so forth. Um, and similarly, quickly got disillusioned there by the lack of aligned incentives. You know, I personally view science as a public good. I think science is beautiful in and of itself. So the sake of doing science for science is something that I champion and I think is really underrated in the infrastructure that we currently live in. And so from there, I kind of had the serendipitous opportunity to, to, to learn about decentralized science. I'm a Web3 enthusiast and crypto enthusiast for a few years back, um, but stumbled upon this whole notion of DSI and fell in love with the idea of democratizing science, giving it back to the people and providing a space where, you know, not necessarily citizen scientists, um, but, you know, bring science back to its roots 
for doing the discovery and just finding these things that have been overlooked because of the limitations and the bottlenecks and the red tapes and the infrastructure um, that exists. And so, you know, in speaking with uh, Joshua, who is the uh, co- who is the founder of DSI World, um, our incentives aligned or our interests aligned in that. Personally, I am interested in similar to the lobbying aspect in getting people into the space. I think, and we'll talk about this. I'm sure as we go into the topics of DSI world, uh, DSI in general. But I think the the most powerful thing in Web three is community. And a lot of people are, are currently, you know, focused on building infrastructure and, and platforms that people can use. But first and foremost, we need people in the space. And so that's that's one of the focuses, the, the main focus at DSI World. And exactly as Full Science brought up, one of the one of the products that we're building um, is a free to use dashboard where any project can come and list. Um, um, we have an app. We have a quote unquote application form. It's not really an application form. It's just a, a listing form where you provide your information and you will then be listed on it. And so we're trying to provide an easy one stop shop where people who are interested in DSI can then find projects that align with their interests um, and then be able to contribute or keep an eye on or, you know, just familiarize themselves with the space and give them kind of a lexicon. Um, that they can turn to. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, yeah, again, thank you, thank you both for joining today. I think those are both really good points. Um, and to summarize, I think Clinomanic was mostly this application of uh, you know to crypto technology beyond financialization. And I really want to dive more into that. And Jelani, it's more of a lot about this uh, this access to information and connecting people, um, which is a really cool topic too. And I think for me, it's 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 a little bit of both. It's this, um, yeah, it's this democratization of of so many different aspects of it, of, of you know, what is science, right? If so, if we're going to talk about DSI, well, then what is, what is science, right? <laughs> um, what is science at all? And uh, I think to me, it's a, you know, it's a system of, of sort of validating, right? Testing hypothesis, sure. But it's also this, this very social activity, right? Um, ultimately, uh, the, real, the real way to get a, a consensus in science is, is to do exactly that, to have a repeatable experiment that somebody else can go and do. So really at the core of science is the ability for somebody else to repeat your experiment. So it's ultimately this is inherently social activity. Um, and, and so that, uh, you know, is, is kind of how I approach it from when I'm thinking about decentralized science. It's like, okay, well then if science is inherently social, well, there's inherently, you know, some sort of decentralized uh, intrinsic nature to it, right? Because it can't just be one person. I mean, you can do that. Sure, you can come to a lot of conclusions and, and, and have... Uh, you know, a lot of progress, uh, you know, working, working alone in science. And I think a lot of science really is done alone, right? One person uh, leading the charge on a particular study or experiment or in the lab, uh, as often was my case in grad school late at night. And uh, yeah, that was, um, but, but ultimately it does come down to the social aspect. And so, um, yeah, I think there is, uh, I definitely want to explore that topic of science as a public good. And, um, and sort of access to knowledge and access to other people and funding. And this is an interesting topic that's been um, being discussed in, uh, by one of the other projects in Bankless DAO, sort of a uh, peer 
mentorship program, uh, right? Sort of this access to knowledge. And I think a lot of that comes out in these decentralized contexts, right? These DAO communities where you can show up at a Discord and just hop in the community call. And that has sort of changed software development to the point where uh, open source is like completely revolutionary, right? You can just hop in the Discord, talk to the developer and tell them what you want. That's kind of happening with science where people can just go and hop in a Discord and talk to the scientist or talk to the funder and like, like talk to the community and be like, hey, I've got this proposal. What do you think? You know, and it really takes away a lot of those barriers. Um, so to me, that is like one of the core aspects of this, you know, how that social nature of science is, is being decentralized through this tech, um, right? These applications of crypto beyond just a pure financialization. And then also what interests me, in addition to your point there about people being able to just access expertise in that kind of forum-like basis, is what is, is how, how applicable DAOs would be, say, a given research DAO around a topic like you know, longevity research um, or, or any other topic-based kind of research DSI DAO, uh, is how, how feasible would it be for a, a group of scientists or researchers like that in the form of a DAO to publish and maintain some academic journal. I mean, I'm pretty sure talent DAO either already does this or is planning on doing this with the, the journal of decentralized work, I think they call it. But I'm wondering if there are any other examples of that are able to maintain journals or, or any kind of regular, you know, scientific discourse. I believe SCURF. Scurf is one of those protocols that are doing, looking for doing something similar. I think in collaboration with Talent Um Yeah. Well, that's that smart contract research forum. Exactly. Right. So, you know, con it's funny enough, uh, contrary to that name, <laughs> they're not actually studying contract research. Uh, sorry, smart contract themselves, but they're, they're looking for the, the implementation of all these things, right? Eugene is a great person to, to, to follow and, and, and speak with. I've never had the opportunity, but I've listened to a lot of this, this conversation. And he seems, you know, very knowledgeable on the direction where they're going. And I, I, I think that they are trying to develop a uh, similar kind of aspect, a journal that is for decentralized science in a way that we can maintain a repository of this information. That would be awesome if that's what they're they're working towards. I know Nick Nick Link. I'm not sure if that's that's his real name or just a pseudo name. Uh, said that they're researching a decentralized peer review process that incorporates smart contracts, and that would seem like that would apply directly to maintaining some kind of a academic journal. So I, yeah, I, I, I'm very interested in watching that. Yeah, it's funny. I, I did the same thing when I first uh, heard about smart contract research for him. I was like, wait a second. I know, I know, like, you know, <laughs> this seems like way more scientific uh, decide than, than uh, the name than the name applies. But um, yeah, they, uh, they're doing some great work over there for sure. Uh, definitely been wanting to get more involved with the community and see what they're, uh, I didn't realize they were also working on a, uh, a publication platform. Um, but yeah, that's a big... I could be, I could be wrong. I just want to make that statement out there. I could be slightly mistaken. Um, but I know I, I, I remember uh, reading about certain things where they're interested in, in developing these kind of platforms. So if they're not doing it themselves, then I'm sure they're collaborating with other individuals in this space. Yeah, that makes sense. That's super cool. And also, it seems like any kind of decentralized peer review process that they're working on would, would apply pretty directly to some kind of journal. So like whether or not they end up having one, I'm sure other research DAOs can kind of maybe even copy paste that peer review process 
and apply it to some journal of, a, of an entirely different topic. I'd, I'd imagine that that this group would be making these kind of open, like kind of open standard, open source, decentralized peer review processes. But I'm not, you know, I'm not an insider there. I don't, I don't quite know what the developments are. I mean, I think that's a that's a really good point, right? So, you know, kind of building off of, I mean, this is something that we see in science in general, right? This iteration, building on top of previous findings that I fail to see in a lot of other spaces, right? You know, in DeFi, you do kind of get these things where people fork particular projects, you know, usually for scams, but sometimes, you know, there's gems that pop in. But I think one of the one of the beautiful applications of DSI is that because of this, the community is incentivized in terms of improving the total infrastructure of science. We have we have the opportunity for these kind of things. We have the opportunity for multiple projects to iterate or to come up with slightly different variations of a particular you know theme, whether it be peer reviewing. Um, I mean, I think Molecule is the only one developing their IPNFT railway, but just you know anything and there's there are so many new ideas coming out that we have this iteration we have this hopefully collaboration aspect that comes together where we can slightly help each other and tweak these and you know smooth out the processes and optimize ways and such that we can make this much more mainstream much more acceptable much more streamlined because i think personally one of the things and i've had the opportunity i've had the, the pleasure and opportunity to speak to a lot of builders in the space is Ultimately, it's the, the streamlining that is going to be the issue to me, right? Everyone's building right now. And so it's very rough around the edges. But just like in traditional, in traditional, uh, it, well, traditional in DeFi versus TradFi, you know, I, I imagine it will be difficult for, for non crypto native individuals to be like, what? I have to get a wallet. What is this wallet? You know, what's this hot wallet thing? Why do I need to use this to interact in this scientific, in the scientific, in this new scientific sphere? So. That I think is going to be one blockade that is going to come up. But I think as we iterate with these things and as we collaborate together and as we really bring back the essence of science, which I agree with flow science, should be collaboration. And it is a contact sport. Science in my mind is a contact sport. We'll be able to smooth and facilitate this onboarding process. I love that. Science is a contact sport. I'm definitely going to use that. Um, yeah, super cool. Great. I just kind of minute I saw you on unmuting. So I, I was just going to agree with those points as well. I, I totally agree. And, and like the, the onboarding thing, I think gets at like, like the the point we earlier about that this technology is primarily, at least initially, built around financial speculation and like alternative financial systems. But what we're talking about here is stuff that doesn't really fit so squarely into that category. And I think opening opening people's minds to that could be could be difficult especially because even just explaining like the basics of this technology is so um like, even that can be inaccessible yet alone like like even just getting like explaining the first impression of this technology is kind of difficult yet alone breaking open that first first impression to to convey all the stuff that we're talking about here but i i do think that you know as, as we build out applications for this you know the applications will just speak for themselves so I, I do think that these these aren't insurmountable, that we will get over them. Yeah, these are, these are sort of general questions, right, that apply to, to most areas of, of crypto. And I think that abstraction um, of, of a lot of these concepts away uh, from the user interface, even if like 
you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like learning, um, you know, statistics or something like that. Like you, you learn what the, the, the underlying theories are, but when you actually get to like doing it and like writing, like using the statistical software, you just kind of like, Oh, I'm going to use this technique here. You don't have, you know, you don't have to know the full details of to actually do it. You just kind of log in the user interface is there and, and you do the thing. Yeah, and yeah. I think that that's that approach uh, could, could apply to a lot of what we're talking about. If we're talking about, you know, building out, a decentralized peer review process here and then like what molecules doing with like kind of crowdfunded uh, research funding like we build out all these tools then we can just like so, so long as we make sure they have exposure to, to scientists who aren't already involved in web3 then we're kind of building out this suite of, of ideally open source tools that that like you said you could just you you know learn to use them as you see fit and then see how they can be used in conjunction then hopefully that can kind of amount to like a new scientific kind of praxis, at least in certain ways. I think that's a, that's a really good point. But let me ask you this, and this is open to, to, to everybody here. Um, how do you see DSI's community as a whole? Do you think that largely it is geared towards actual scientists or is it more of an open community? And I'll answer this first. In my opinion, the DSI space will always be led and likely to be led by, uh, hopefully be led by actual scientists. But I see it as being exactly what we talked about science being a public good. So anybody, anywhere, whether you be a scientist or a science um, tangentially related, like a patient population, or even just, you know, a regular run of the mill person who sees something like, hey, I like CRISPR technology, or I don't know what CRISPR technology is, but I like, you know, the idea of genetic editing, whether whatever your, your particular, you know, alignment is, I, I envision a, a place for these individuals here. And so I wonder if, you know, as scientists, we tend to be very analytical, and very technical, and someone already brought this up to me as in we're very dry with how we deal with with this kind of things. And you can almost see it in certain discords, right? Like if you go to the VitaDAO discord, and this is no shade to, to anybody, this is just kind of how it is. If you go to the VitaDAO Discord, it's very technical, the kind of conversations that you have, right? And contrast this with any DeFi or most DeFi Discords, that's like a bunch of, that, that, you know, it comes off as like a bunch of children just shouting like, we're moon and that, it's like more of a, um, a communal uh, space, right? And it's trying to understand how we, and personally, my, 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 how I see my work or what I'm trying to do here at DeFi Road is trying to understand with a scientific rigor, I guess, methodology. How do we bridge these two? How do we make the DSI space accessible and comfortable for scientists so that they can lead and they can be as efficient as possible, but also welcoming to non-scientists to be like, no, I don't, I'm not, to, to not feel intimidated to come into the space, you know? How, like, I, I'm curious to see how you guys see this um, yourselves. I, I, I totally agree that I think like, the leaders should be the actual experts who have, you know, dedicated large portions of their time and energy to, you know, accumulating expertise in a given area and that there could still be room and, and roles for like citizen scientists and, and kind of like dilettante figures like myself who are very interested in a lot of these areas, but haven't like, you know, haven't dedicated a large chunk of my life to really getting a grand understanding of a given area, especially if it's, you know, a really important area that has like material impact on, on society in one way or the other. And I think there could be ways 
maybe like through some kind of distributed computing um, that that certain expert led DSI initiatives can actually incorporate like a sort of outer cortex or outer group of more casual kind of citizen scientists, dilettante types in a way that, that can kind of let us get the best of both worlds. Like we can be inclusive, but not at the cost of lower quality research. And maybe there are certain applications for existing DAOs to do stuff like that. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think there's, there's definitely some ways that, uh, you know, DAOs as, as social structures can, can help, uh, can do that. Right. And a lot of it involves, right. Acknowledgement and, but, of of just uh, like skills, right? Like and and qualifications and credentials, and that that comes down to some of these other things we were talking about, um, you know, earlier. Like, okay, if somebody comes in and and doesn't have, you know, so a PhD or whatever, and, and honestly, how do you even verify that in a Discord channel anyway? But you know, if somebody comes in, they don't have a PhD, uh, you know, um, or or they want to uh, do science pseudonymously for whatever reason. Um, myself as a personal example, works in the cannabis space. There's plenty of, I, I happen to, to luckily live in California where they, I can do this sort of work and be open about it. But there's a lot of people who want to contribute scientifically to this field who live in places where that is not possible. Um, and so that, um, yeah, things like that as, as one example, um, are ways that I think having these sort of, uh, credentials will dissolve those barriers, um, those artificial barriers between somebody who, you know, maybe has a formal PhD versus somebody who has come in and demonstrated uh, legit reputation, credential, you know, ability to deliver, um, you know, good, high quality scientific work, uh, regardless of what their, their, their actual paper credentials may be. Um, so I think building those sort of systems of skill trees, of skill evaluations, um, those social uh, communities where, um, there can be room for uh, people of different um, backgrounds to come in and contribute. Um, it's totally possible, right? We just have to, yeah. So things like groups like Talent DAO that are that are working on sort of skill classification are, are really, really, I think, powerful and uh, have the ability to to break down some of these barriers. Agreed. I think one of the one of the most defining aspects of science, not maybe not defining aspects of science, but one of the most intriguing aspects of science is. I mean, essentially, everybody is a scientist, right? To some manner or degree, everybody applies critical thinking in terms of problem solving and to more or less degree, you know, scientific methodology in going about their lives. And I've said this before, and I keep saying this, that some of the most interesting interactions that I've had from an intellectual growth standpoint is with people who are not experts in a particular field and just kind of give their two cents about what they might think or how they may, you know, envision something. And a lot of the times I'll admit it's like wrong. It's completely left, but it, it, it opens up the conversation of possibility because, you know, as experts, I can, I can, you know, as a PhD, not, okay, so PhD does not equate expert, but as somebody who's been um, institutionally taught something, you are bound by certain frameworks that you believe to be true. And so I think one of the beauties of DSI and just Web3 in general is it gives a space for these people. It gives accessibility for layman's and non-layman's to interact with each other and come up with these new levels, these new you know versions of creativity or these new innovations that previously either might not have happened because of lack of um, space to collide. Um, again, going back to science as a contact sport, 
um, areas to collide or just, you know, intimidation factor, right? Like I don't, I don't imagine, you know, somebody who is a non-scientist just walk up into a, a scientific conference and listen to a, you know, whether it be cannabis genome uh, symposium or a neuroimmunological symposium and be like, you know what, like, what about this? And what about that? This is, well, this is one of the things that I love about Visa because we have this or I'm hoping, and I'm hoping to foster this more. Yeah. Explain it like I'm five. Right. But, uh, that, that really goes a long way with science. Right? We have to, uh, it can be very heavy, heavy technical, but that the bottom line has to be simple, has to be, you know, understandable by a non-expert um a child even right or your grandma right if you can't explain it to your grandma then then you're not doing it right um or someone's grandma right but uh that is i think holds true for a lot of the the ability for yeah decentralized science to to really flourish and have the impact that it can yeah i was just gonna say your your point about um kind of like non-institutionally trained people that are interested in sciences like like citizen science i guess would be the the established term but it also made me think of like outsider artists, like artists that don't have like gallery representations or don't have formal training uh, and kind of, and kind of come at like come at art from a perspective that doesn't have like the baggage of certain orthodox frameworks. If it, if it becomes orthodox over the course of hundreds, thousands of years, then, then there must be some good reason to it, but that it also can, can add this kind of invisible bias and, and maybe kind of prevent you from even acknowledging that, that you're making certain assumptions. And so I think it could be interesting to find ways to to try to to try to benefit from like outsider perspectives to science. And I think that that could be the, the kind of outer cortex that I mentioned earlier, where there's like credentialized kind of experts that, that are leading leading these efforts because they're they're the ones with, you know, that have dedicated more time and, and energy to building up this expertise, then there could be outsiders and citizen scientists and people that just want to kind of maybe even maybe people that just want to support these efforts by doing some of the kind of busy work, whether that's distributed computing or, or some other way that we can find for, you know, community members to complete bounties that somehow help facilitate like DSI work. Um, and, and I mean, I, the other the other point I wanted to mention was that it, it could be interesting to explore kind of permissionless credentializing and, and education structures within DSI. If there are ways that um, people that are interested in a given topic are able to watch these videos and complete these quizzes in a way that's kind of verifiable and, and tough to game, then they can be given some kind of a, a non-transferable credential or something that that indicates that they've been through this kind of training. And you can they can kind of be uh, I, I don't know you can kind of take that credential as a proxy for its such and such little bit of expertise. Uh, I'm I'm wondering if there are any any examples of that in, in DSI so far. Not that I've come across. Those. I know I hear a lot of people talking about you know soul bound tokens as exactly what you point right non transferable NFTs that get that mark an individual um, and kind of give them a credential uh, status. And I, and I like the idea. And we're exploring similar kind of things in DSI world. And I know there are other places that are also talking about it. But the, so the issue. One of the, the the pitfalls that I see with this is the standardization, right? If anybody and everybody is going to be issuing these uh, soulbound or credentials, like who is vetting the actual process that allows for those to be valuable, right? So you end up. I think one of the one of the issues that we are going to come upon is layering, 
right? What is going to be our layer zero that confirms that, okay, this is the standard of practice that we're doing, right? What's our EIP 4626 that is standardized across the entire industry? Um, and something that is decentralized, how do we standard, standardize something decentralized? These are all really important points of conversation um, that will inevitably come up, have not come up yet. And I think this goes back to because everybody's building the space is so new, right? Like, yes, I think the official standpoint is like it's been a year or September 2021. But really, the space is so new. Every person, that who, every protocol is just trying to build and get their infrastructure off the road. Um, but I think these are really important conversations to have. And it's better to have these sooner rather than later, because then they can be woven into the framework of everything that is being built currently. Yeah, I think the point you bring up is, is central to this, is how, how can we have standards in a permissionless environment like this without, without any kind of gatekeeping? Because I feel like that's kind of, at least my impression is that's sort of the thing we're trying to move away from if we're talking about decentralized peer review. Uh, and, and I guess my only, my only suggestion so far, my only thought is, Maybe DeSci likes thereof. Some player in the DeSci world and the DeSci uh, landscape can go about kind of auditing certain educational credentials that are offered by this or that DeSci DAO, and then maybe there could be some kind of a uh, I don't know I don't know what, what the term for this would be uh, like a some kind of gallery or, or expose of of credentials that have been vetted by this auditing group. And like, there doesn't need to necessarily be any um, any like requirement for uh, a given credential to get this audit. But people in this space can sort of take that as some indication of of like this this credential is substantial. There's like this process has been audited. Uh, maybe, maybe that's one way to kind of start standardizing things. I agree. I think I think a really you know on brand way of doing it, uh, and this is just an idea. Of you know having not a coalition but a, a, a like making sure that you reach out to other protocols and a multitude of other protocols when you're instituting these kind of credentials things. So have like you know let's take for example a beaded out. Let's say they do have their credential purpose. Well, they are going to um, collaborate or form an alliance or have this this ethics this board of individuals from different protocols. Ideally, not necessarily working in longevity. Um, and just have that. So we'll do consensus or credentials through consensus. And I think that speaks a lot to the ethos of Web3. I don't know how actual feasible that would necessarily be and how functional or, or, or how practical and um, actual workable that is. But that's how I see in keeping in line with our ethos. And I think, you know, we all have a shared ethos of this decentralization. And actually, that's another, I let that be spoken about, but I have another point. I mean, I, I agree with that, and I like the idea of uh, a coalition being built out. Maybe, maybe the lobby three one can can like meet this role. Not that lobby three needs to be the the arbiter of these kind of credentials, but it could be. You know, this could be some kind of this for these these kind of things can be discussed. Even if you know, lobby three doesn't need to be like a central uh, figure to it, but it could maybe fill that role. For sure, three. I imagine that interconnected web three, right? That's the whole prompt premise, right? Where you have DeSci, ReFi, DeFi, all working together. So something like this, where you have, you're looking at credentials and you have like a Lex DAO with the legal aspect, a lobby DAO that can understand the framework of how do you um, collect or organize individuals towards a particular cause. 
you know, and then the DSI aspect for quote unquote experts and specialists in the field that can then vet and make sure that this is actually something of standard, something of substance that can then be used for the space. I think ultimately we will have to be governed by the people, right? And that's a very nice theory and it's been applied to a lot of things. And we we currently live in the world where we live in because of how that didn't end up actually working. Um, but the hope here is to to actually have that work in some form or fashion in this space. And luckily, you know, smart contracts with their automated fashions kind of help deal with the any middlemen trying to take a slightly bigger chunk of what they should actually be doing. Yeah, I think your point about interconnectedness, I, that's that's very central to how I see this as well. And in in PubDAO, we're figuring out our our onboarding process. For, for anyone who hasn't heard of it, PubDAO is a is an early stage written content as a service DAO. So it's a service DAO that sort of brings on Web3 writers and connects them with clients that want promotional content written about them. And we're figuring out onboarding processes. And I, I'm, I'm thinking about ways, like it's still kind of too early in the credential landscape to really start implementing this. But ideally, we would have uh, like different onboarding processes for different kinds of contributors. If there's someone who wants to contribute in, in marketing, maybe they can get some credential from YapDAO. If someone wants to contribute in terms of community management, maybe they can get some credential from WGMI DAO. If someone wants to contribute in some kind of legal engineering, then maybe they can get a credential from LexDAO. And I think that like we could kind of leverage each other's credentials in certain respects. Um, and but but again it would it would all really just depend on the point you made earlier about what kind of standards exist in the space. And then that should really be approached very carefully and delicately so that we're not just implementing the same kind of gatekeeping that that we're trying to evolve from. Yeah, this is this is really I think very like tying together a lot of different things, right? And Jelani just ran through like a few different, it's like CSI, it's DeFi, it's like all these different things. And I think that um, it even comes back to what you were saying earlier, Clemenic, about moving beyond, right, these, these financial applications of of crypto, right? Like using data and, or these credentials um, as sort of this like pluralistic, these other sort of primitives to uh, to really create this this system of DeSci, right? Or it's almost like it's, it's almost like DSI is almost like DSOC or DSOC, DSOC, right? It's this pluralistic combination of these credentials or these these contributions in the form of uh, you know, publications or data um, and these other things like right IP NFTs, uh, which are which are either right a publication or data or both or something. It's a, it's these different sort of uh, primitives that are, are non financial in nature, but ultimately do have a value that will be. I guess pluralistically determined, right? In, in some sort of way, um, and then you know whatever that looks like, whether that's uh, a uh, you know marketplace or or some sort of uh, a different way to to have that uh, those different primitives sort of be be interacted with. But yeah, super cool. I think we're tying together a lot of different uh, really broad-reaching concepts here. Yeah, I mean, I, I as much as I admire that that DSOC paper, I I do admit I kind of wish they didn't go with the term soulbound. I, I kind of I kind of wish maybe just non-transferable would be a bit better. I think there's something kind of ominous about soulbound. And you know, there the, some of the skeptics of blockchain and especially from the, this kind of 
kind of anti-totalitarian kind of line of arguments where they think, oh, a CBDC will institute some kind of panopticon and your whole financial history will be tethered to your political history and all this stuff. I think using the term soulbound token is like, like we're just, we're giving them like a, like a layup right there. I, I don't know. I, I kind of wish we had chosen a different term for that. Well, let me ask you this, right? So I think one important topic, I don't know if we have time to talk about this here, but I think one important topic is ethics especially as it relates to, to DSA, right? If you're opening up a world where citizens and citizen scientists and anybody can can either pitch a proposal to have their, their work funded or also just do their own work, what are the ethical bounds of that? How do we institute these ethical bounds, right? If I go to Vita Dao, bad example, if I go to somewhere else Dao and I'm like, I want to, you know, do some eugenics work or I want to do... Anti, like the opposite of of longevity. I just want to murder everybody through this part, and I, and, you know, and there's populations of people who do like that, who have those kind of ideas. And now you're giving them a platform wherein they can vote for that and they can fund that, right? Who's to stop somebody from starting a DAO? And they only have ten people, but that's the ten people who have all the tokens. And so ethics, I think, is an interesting point, and I would argue, at least from the optics of the ethical standpoint, having some oath that is tied to a soul bound token and even even if it's not marketed that way where we can another example of a standard right where we have these protocols and projects that commit to this particular value framework that we develop for the DSI space and then they take that quote-unquote pledge and it's soul bound to them it's soul bound either in their multi-sig or at the individual level or something i think that's an interesting way to twist that nomenclature into something that is a little bit more positive for the space. And, you know, I'm going to say it. A lot of people who are scientists are nerds, and I like the idea of a sold out token. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I love that it was it was inspired by uh, World of Warcraft, too. I mean, I think that's it's really playful. I'm just, I'm hoping it doesn't, it, I'm just hoping it doesn't become like a really, I'm hoping it doesn't become a trigger word for like anti blockchain, anti Web3 arguments. Um, but I, I, I totally agree with, um, with, uh, with, with your point there about how do you, like, how do you stop kind of malignant efforts of, of crowd crowdsourcing stuff towards research that, that we think is, um, like, like unethical or that we think is damaging or, or is, you know, somehow, uh, like against welfare of, of people. And I, I think the, the, the danger here where, you know, the obvious cure is just to have some kind of gatekeeper, but then that, that just brings us back to some of the like different kinds of evils. And I think really the the only solution I can see here, however vague this sounds, is just to it's just to give people the tools to like express opposition to this or that thing and, and just try to find ways to let let people oppose this stuff in an organic way that doesn't require some kind of central like censorship or, or anything like that. Um, I mean, but I, I don't have any any concrete answers there. No, I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. I think this is something that is an co- ongoing conversation to keep in mind. Um, the way I see it and the way I, I like to explain it in my own words for how to deal with these kind of things is it's similar to like the nodes of a blockchain, right? In the scientific realm, the nodes of the blockchain are the scientists and the population. And so why I think it's so important to, to onboard as many people and as like in essence, increase the liquidity of the DSI space is that it makes us more resistant to these volatile swings of like, you know, low ethic, 
malignant, you know, unethically aligned work because then you have a, a population, <clears throat> and I'm assuming I'm making this on the assumption that the vast majority of individuals are, you know, well-intentioned and altruistic to an extent and don't have just nefarious um, interests. But having, you know, the more people we have, the more resistant we become, right? Those people become a minority. And in this space, the minority of, as an individual standpoint, is really swept out of the equation because the majority is what rules this space. Yeah, and I think that uh, that gets down to honestly what what a lot of the core is for for science and technology in general, right? Developing new technology, ultimately, um, and science has been grappling with this for hundreds of years or longer. And it's the it, it, technology is agnostic in terms of ethics, right? It's the it's the humans, the social side that determines how that is ethically applied or not, right? Any technology can be used for good; it can be used for evil. And and luckily, I think, you know, I'm with you on that, Jelani, that I, I do believe I'm optimistic that majority of people are, are well-intentioned. And, uh, and I think that has been proven through hundreds of years of scientific progress and social progress. Um, and so, yeah, I think that these conversations are exactly exactly hitting on that. It really is what my goal is here, too, is to open up that and have these ethical discussions about what, what are we building and, and what are we building into them and these decisions that we're making. So... As we approach the the last couple of minutes here, I do want to invite anybody in the audience to to come up and join. If you have any questions, I was just trying to check the uh, the chat and everything in Discord, but uh, yeah, feel free to hop up if if you have some questions and you want to uh, join in the conversation. Uh, until we get any questions, I had one one idea that may be worth bringing up here as some kind of solution for this is if there's um, and, and maybe this would rely on some like proof of existence. I know, I know Governor Da has something like this. I know Proof of Humanity has their own approach, but some tokenized, civil resistant kind of, um, I don't know if you would call it a credential, kind of centralized ID. It's something just to enable civil resistance. Maybe we could have a DAO-like structure that gives some kind of credential to a given DSI project and it just put up to some majority vote. Like if if some vote wants the seal of approval from this kind of auditing DAO, then the the those members there would just collectively vote on whether or not to give that seal of approval to the applicant. And maybe we can just expand that base as wide as possible. Like maybe it's not a, a traditional DAO per se, but maybe it's just everyone who has this proof of existence solution, this tokenized proof of existence solution is able to vote on whether or not to give a certain seal of approval to this, to this applicant. And maybe part of, maybe that can be like the last step of an auditing process. And before that, there can be a team of specialists that actually put together some kind of report on, on the applicant. And maybe, maybe that's some kind of way to, to go about not, not like censoring, but to go about like, um, some kind of standardizing and some kind of quality control and some kind of preventative measure against any malicious uh, actors in a way that's decentralized. And I'm wondering if there are any approaches like that we can take. Yeah. Okay. So feel free to interrupt me if a question from the audience pops up, but I think that's actually a really beautiful point, but it's, it's almost like a paradoxical point, right? How do you gatekeep in a world where you're not trying to gatekeep? And I think that's a, that's an intrinsic dichotomy that exists in DSI, 
because essentially you need to have gatekeepers. And so we've run into this issue in our own discussions of governance, right? Like, for example, let's say you wanted to, let's say you wanted to, to have an emergency stop function whereby something like, you know, let's say, for example, Terra Luna is going to shit, right? Sorry, excuse my, my language. Terra Luna is going, is on its way down. And somebody's puts forth a, a, a proposal that kind of expedites that process or maliciously expedites, or Beanstalk is another example. I'm sorry, Beanstalk is a perfect example, right? They didn't have a stop. The team could have had a stop executive veto order in their thing, but that's not very decentralized. Not, not, that's not with ethos of decentralization, but it would save their protocol, right? So how do we have fail safes and gates in a world where we're not trying to have gates, right? I think it's, 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 a, it's a quandary. It's a real quandary. And we, we've struggled with this on our own end um, at DeSci World and trying to make things as decentralized as possible. But I, as I start to, as I venture into this like actual builder space, I, start, I think you, people start to realize that it's very difficult to have full decentralization. And I don't think, and everybody has their own version of decentralization. And I'm always curious to hear what people's personal version of decentralization is. Uh, but that's, I think that's a, that's another top, that's another great topic of conversation to have. Can we truly be decentralized in a scientific, uh, space? Yeah. I mean, I think that the paradox you pointed out there is, is central to really this whole movement for me. And I think that's, that's arguably the biggest innovation that DAOs enable is like a decentralized gatekeeping mechanism or like any kind of like you can have a DAO majority vote be the ultimate kind of arbiter or an ultimate executive decision in certain respects but you can still have centralized decision making up until that point i mean that that's what i'm i'm trying to explore in in uh in lobby three as well as we're like doing bylaws and stuff is figuring out a way to have the DAO token holder community kind of function as an executive in terms of like some ultimate decision being made but until that final ultimate decision is made then we can still have centralized decision makers and and experts and kind of effectively technocrats uh, because i think that is that is just another another term for a lot of this stuff is people who are who exercise authority because of some expertise or some um, unusual tech like technical literacy which i do think is needed because this is a really complex world we have but so long as we can implement some kind of oversight over that expertise, then I, and I think that's kind of the central innovation of DAOs. I mean, I think it goes on the, you know, finding that right social structure um, for, for enabling, you know, maximum decentralization. Uh, but, but ultimately that might not be full, full total, hundred uh, percent. And we'll see what that looks like as we continue exploring the space. And yeah, thank you again for Clinamenic and Jelani for joining us today. This has been an awesome, awesome first episode. Thank you for everyone for joining in the audience too. And uh, yeah, feel free to hop in the Discord if you think of anything later on you want to interact or post some questions before the next one. So yeah, it's been great. Thank you.